0: true thank my lucky stars to be living here today because the flag still stands for freedom and they can't take that away and i'm proud to be an american Welcome back to Real Voices of the Game Productions. I'm Dave D'Agostino, and I'm joined by my co-host and star of this show, Jim Rooney. It's Toe the Rubber. Had a great first episode last week, great response from it. Uh, we're going to pick up a little bit where we left off as we get going. But before I talk to our audience, I want to welcome Jim back to your show. Jim, welcome back. Thank you, Dave. Yeah, And before I, again, talk to the audience... I know Seamus had a birthday the other day. How was the party? How old did he? How old is he now? And I've got a couple of gifts waiting for him. So when when I see you guys again, uh, well,
1: thank you. Yeah, Seamus turned ten on July first. Um, so yeah, we had a great time. We uh, we live in a fantastic neighborhood here in Fort Mill, and he had quite a turnout for a pool party, and then everybody back to the house. So it was very enjoyable. Thank good,
0: you. good. Yeah, no, I, I enjoyed meeting him when we got to meet in person, and I put the, put aside for him a. Uh, we have our development group here. I know this is about development baseball here. We have our one-on-one group that we use to develop. So I put aside one of our, two of our hats, our home and away hats. I, I put a baseball jersey aside for him and a, a basketball jersey too. So with the shorts, so he'll have his own one-on-one gear. So if he ever wants to come in and play, he'll have gear all ready to go. If not, he can run around the house. it. And, and, and Sounds good. Appreciate it. But uh, to our audience, real quick, 19,800 subscribers now. Make sure you download, listen, like, subscribe, rate, and review to Toe the Rubber. And all our shows, if you do that, we can keep providing you great content every week. It allows us to battle the analytics of the podcast world like we do in baseball. Streaming devices, Apple, Amazon, Spotify, Stitcher. Get us on social media with Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Jim put up a little preamble to his show today. Follow him on Facebook because you get a chance to kind of get a precursor to what he's going to talk about week to week. And to our 72 countries, we are appreciative of your support, especially on this Independence Day week where we celebrate our country we're hitting grassroots MLB front offices, so we got the ear of the right people, just trying to build a better baseball IQ, and we're going to do that with the show today. And Jim, you ended up with with uh, talking double spin last week and triple spin. wanted to give you a chance to go a little deeper into that today as we kind of get into our hot topic of hip mobility.
1: Yes. Um, as we spoke last week, the basic uh, of not necessarily my theory, but my thoughts on the whole pitching mechanic is the the flow of energy that's created along the kinetic chain and how much of that force we efficiently get to the baseball, that's our primary goal. Uh, So after reading through, this is back in 1970, 1987 when I was at Pace University, after reading through a whole bunch of research on different topics and the uh, thesis put forward by the Chinese biomechanics and engineers, uh, I started putting together the whole concept of triple spin Basically, it's the rotational forces created by your hip turn, your shoulder turn, and then your hand through release point, your arm path. Um, I would liken it to, as far as the acceleration, it's almost, you know, the classic story of throwing, rolling the snowball down a hill. Um, as far as the force created, we start out, you know, on the rubber. We use the slope to our advantage. And at the end, we're waiting for that, uh, that big snowball down the hill, that explosion through release point. Um, I mean, in fact, uh, there's currently software out there that I'm sure, um, quite a few coaches and, and parents and players have, have seen pitch AI from uh, pro player AI and some of their whole entire concepts of sequencing hip shoulder, hand and efficiency of creating force were all, uh, were all ideas and concepts that they picked up when they uh, partnered with me at a seminar back with the Brewers, a pitching symposium that we used to do on an annual basis. Uh, So that was, you know, a little funny for my part and a little interesting that uh, maybe there were some people back then that was listening to what I had to say.
0: No, it sounds like it. Now with... With the triple spin now, and I think this is important for audience to remember as we get into the hip mobility, because we're going to break down the body parts a little bit. It's, it's uh, with such an emphasis on power nowadays, where everything's about velocity um, over command and control, and we're seeing all these injuries. How important is the sequencing as it pertains to not just proper mechanics, but staying injury-free?
1: I mean, the goal when you really look at it is – to stay injury-free and have long-term health. Um, you know, the old the old adage, the best ability is availability. That's kind of gone by the wayside. Um, I can remember back to my first year, one of the primary reasons the Brewers brought me in as a pitching coordinator was that they had a rash of injuries to a lot of their high-level drafted pl- uh, pitchers. And in the first year I reduced um, injuries throughout the organization on the pitching staffs by approximately 70%. Um, The reason being is that anybody that can remember back to the Tom Seavers and Nolan Ryans of the world, and that was the whole thing when people started saying you throw the ball with your legs and uh, these type of uh, terminologies, if we produce force efficiently, we can apply it to the baseball. Whatever force is not applied to the baseball has to be reabsorbed through the kinetic chain. And as per se, your follow through. Um, If we do it efficiently, then we're going to stay injury free. I mean, our performance is going to bear, our command is going to be, there's a lot of things that, you know, that happen. But the primary goal at the end of the conversation is that you're injury free and that you have a healthy arm. And a lot of that is what went into the whole biomechanics when I looked at it, when I read the research. And then I just, you know, looked back and at all my experiences as a pitcher, even as a pitcher for myself and as a pitcher dealing with pitching coaches or dealing with, you know, young players or, or even the things that I learned from major league pitchers, you know, such as the uh, Orioles staff back in the early 80s. To Ray Miller and all that all kind of came together with this concept of triple spin.
0: No I, I, I think it's great and b- before we get the hip mobility and, and carry on, when you have you're dealing with kids like we are with the show, it's grassroots, it's young young kids uh, coming in with their parents all the way up to college and pro guys. How much unlearning has to happen when you get these kids in here because of all the information out there, all the misinformation, really? Um, how much of that plays a part into when you, before you even start educating
1: these these kids and families on the right way to do things? It's a major part because initially, as we've stated last week when we're talking about you're giving the same baseball that they use in the major leagues, so young guys are are, you know, totally bent on Let's throw it farther, let's throw it harder. Let's hit it farther. Let's hit it farther. They're continually working on creating force, but they're physically not ready to create that force, so they start doing things like pulling with the front side, creating force off the back side that can't be it can't be stabilized over the front. Uh, a lot of things reaching back. You, know, you you've seen all the little cartoons of the young guys uh, you know, with the whole uh, the whole whirlwind. And, I mean, my five-year-old Brennan does it all the time. Come on, throw me the ball. And all of a sudden he's winding up like he's a, his arm's a propeller in order to throw the ball. But these are things that actually happen. Um, they attempt to create as much force as possible through their body, but they have no idea how to get the force to their hand. So we kind of have to remove that. And, and um, you know, I use quotes from Greg Maddox, who, who used to say uh, – I learned when I was young that when the conflict is at its greatest, I have to try less. Um, Even dating back to Whitey Ford, when he would say, sometimes if you throw the ball right down the middle, the hitters get themselves out. Um, You just start working with them with those type of ideas, um, that less is more. And hopefully as you get going, they start to catch on to it. I can remember when I first was the coordinator for the Brewers, Mike Maddox, the major league pitching coach for the Brewers at the time, um, first spring training together, and he's telling the pitchers, all right, when we get up to throw our bullpen today, we're going to throw 80% effort. Now there was no such thing at the time as the motor sleeve and all kinds of different technology to, to measure workload, but it was the individual trying to get attuned with what was 80% effort for them And the process was, listen, we're going to practice here at the 80%. We're going to have a feel for our delivery. We're going to be part of the process that we're doing. We're going to get to our consistent release point. And in the game with the adrenaline flowing and the competitive nature and the fans screaming and everybody going, you're going to be going at 100%. Whereas if we did things all the time at 100% and then we got into conflict, now we're going at 120%. That's not going to work too good.
0: Yeah, that's great advice. Now, with all the technology today, we've taken that, oh, I guess, that feel, that sensitivity away from the picture where they don't, they don't get to exercise that muscle anymore. They, they actually don't have it anymore, correct?
1: Correct. Um, I use technology in what I do, but in my initial conversations with everybody – it's, I'm adamant that we're going to introduce different aspects of technology after you develop a feel for what you're doing. Because then the numbers or the specific things we're looking at are confirmed. But it's meaningless to confirm something that you have no idea you know, what it feels like. I mean, that's the goal. We're going to feel what we're doing. We're going to be part of the process. We're going to have an understanding. We're going to develop body control. We're going to develop some of that, what they call muscle memory, you know, kinesthetic awareness, and then we're going to use different technologies to confirm what we're already feeling. I love that. that that's
0: a great point you made about kinesthetic
1: awareness, because
0: without allowing the athlete, whether it's a pitcher or a hitter or any other sport, to start understanding their body awareness, that kinesthetic awareness, all the other stuff you're trying to teach them, um, you're you really re- you're really reducing the realm they can use it in. Uh, because they're only going to use it as the the technology dictates where you do it in reverse, uh, where you get the feel, technology were confirm, which is how analytics should be used also um, in that regard to tell the story, not to to dictate the path. So I like that. I think those kids are lucky to have that down there. And I hope the parents that are within a three-hour radius, you may be more, start driving down to Fort Mill to get get some instruction from me. You'll save the game, at least in your three-hour radius, and we can keep expanding it bit by bit. But um, well, let's get into hip mobility. What, what, how important is hip mobility? Where did you want to start regarding
1: that concept? Well, um, one of the things that I noticed over the years was that more and more of the young guys, even when I was in pro ball, were coming to me and they had no foundation. Uh, you know, they, they had no grounding. Their balance was off. Um, Anytime you're dealing with a rotational force, there has to be a platform or a fulcrum point. And the main platform for any throwing mechanic is your hips down through the ground, into your feet, through into the ground. And because maybe more and more of these players were, were possibly just playing baseball, you know, especially uh, down here in the Charlotte area. And I know, even before that, when I've lived in Florida or Arizona or Southern California, baseball's become this year-round sport, and this is what they're doing. Then you go to a high school game, and some guy is in high school, and he's only the pitcher, or he's only the right fielder. or he's, you know, There's nobody um, – shoot, I've gone to nine-year-old travel games, tra- travel baseball, and within an organization – a nine-year-old's already been pegged as the catcher or the left fielder or the whatever. I had, I had a, I had a coach tell me one day, yeah, I can really see how this guy projects to be a third baseman in the future. And I was like, (laughs) I was like, that's a genius right there. I I used to do that for a living and there was no way that I would go out on that, on that pole and say, (laughs) say that go out on that ledge and say that some 9 year olds going to be a third baseman in his future. I mean, that's, you know, a little bit crazy when you come to think about it. But this is this is what the game's... Um oh, it's
0: all the sports too, Jim. I I, I hear it in basketball, I, I get asked all the time at these events we go to, whether it's basketball or baseball, just because of my background in both. And they'll ask, boy, this kid's really got a shot. And again, it's like an eight or nine-year-old kid. And I kind of laugh. And I said that kid's probably still wet in his bed and doesn't even know what he's going to have for lunch. So he, the only thing he has a shot of is just being a kid today. That's it. And exactly. like, you can't tell. And is like as good as I am? Absolutely not. I said we don't know. It's, it's like popcorn in a pan. Sometimes it pops. Sometimes it doesn't. We don't know what's going to happen to that kid right. between now and then. So yeah, it's
1: laughable. It's yeah. Uh, so as a as a as an introduction to uh, the hip mobility, I'm going to uh, give an example of someone from my past. Um, I go in to watch a left-handed pitcher at Irving High School in Texas. Um, very good baseball program. The pitcher ends up being a first-round pick. Kyle, Kyle, uh, Kyle Muller was the first-round pick of the Atlanta Braves. High school guy, probably, believe it or not, 6'5", 215. Great arm, left-handed pitcher, and good stuff. But I noticed in the in the, uh, bottom of the first inning, he gets up. I think he was batting fourth in the lineup also, and he's batting right-handed. So the area scout's also telling me that he's a great basketball player. In fact, he just saw him play and won a playoff game a couple of nights earlier and the whole thing. And I said, um, just by chance, does he play basketball right-handed? Does he shoot right-handed? And the reply was, well, yeah, w- w- what does that matter? And I said, just notice, he hit a double in the, in the bottom of the first inning, left center, a rocket, and he's rounding first base. And, of course, that's a, what I would call a right-handed turn. So his right foot hit the bag, internally rotated, and he made his turn. Further research, talking to the area guy, you know, we realized that the only thing he did left-handed was throw a baseball. So his hips naturally are going to move, what I say, right-handed, right? His, his right hip was very good into internal rotation, his left hip, front hip, and the hitting process was very good. He had good hip-shoulder separation into external rotation, so the opening of the hip. But on the mound, he had slow hips. In fact, the back hip at times never really released from the rubber. Um, so he was what I would call an upper body arm thrower, and like i said he was he was phenomenal i mean he was he was an outstanding high school pitcher um now, I do believe after following a little bit he he got a cup of coffee in the big leagues with the Braves, and they might have traded him to the texas rangers i'm I'm not positive right now, but I haven't really without looking into it, I haven't really seen him in the big leagues. um, So I don't necessarily know what's happened to him, but I start to see that in not only pitchers, but hitters. So for example, two of the most famous guys that I know of, even though I'm going to date myself here, were right-handed hitters that were left-handed throwers, Cleon Jones of the 69 Mets, and of course, Hall of Famer Ricky Henderson.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, I've now worked with it for um, at least five or six middle school to high school hitters that they're right-handed throwers and left-handed hitters. And they come to me with, uh, well, the scouts are telling me that uh, I'm a handsy hitter or I'm this. and, And they're describing it. Yes, they're describing exactly what they see. But what sometimes they're missing the mark on is, it's about how his hips work that's affecting how, since he's a successful hitter, he's 19 years old, uh goes to a, a pretty good college. He's found ways to succeed. He's found ways to overcome his hips not working. Where if you turn around and play catch with him, his hips work fine. Um, had one y- young high school hitter, uh, all of a sudden he was experiencing some elbow problems. In his, in his throwing arm, his right arm, center fielder, four three four four 4'4", runner, um, good ball-to-bat skills, good eye-hand coordination, uh, very quick, uh, quick and explosive. But he batted left-handers. There was no explosiveness in his hips. They kind of cruised through the whole process. Uh, he had been working with a hitting coach. Guy did a good job with him. However, never really addressed the hips. And when they did, they kind of overdid it. So now he was very good from the hips, left hip into internal rotation, front hip, right hip into external rotation, that his hips, especially in the uh, uh, left hip, his back hip when he was swinging, internal rotation started dominating the action. And then he goes out to throw and he's tight. Now the left hip's the front hip and he's tight next to in rotation. So he's never getting hips through the throw. And one day uncorked one and felt some tenderness in his elbow. Once we correct the hip unbalance and he was moved properly for both sides, you know, he he just he just had a phenomenal freshman year playing on the varsity of the state win, winning uh, Catawba Ridge High School team here in uh, Fort Mill. So a lot of times, many of these imbalances has to do with the hips. Um, you've seen a lot of pitchers currently watch a big league game, especially for guys, you know, relievers coming out of the bullpen. They kind of stick that front side in the ground and whip themselves around it. And, and they've created a platform, semi-platform, I would say, but the problem in their rhythm and timing is since they're never really getting through the front side, their front hip, your hips are a hinge joint. So for me in the, in the pitching delivery, there has to be a hinge. That hip, that front hip has to fold in at least an inch. So your center of gravity, which you could say your, your navel, your belly button gets past that front hip. Well, then a lot mm-hmm. of these young guys now they're sticking that front, that front foot in the ground. And, uh, they're a little unstable there, so the knee varies either either going into more deep flexion or hyperextending and straight. The problem with both of those is they kind of block the center of gravity from getting through the front side, and then the back hip never really releases. So, um,
0: how should the front foot be? And you know, you talked about that little bit of, and I'm visualizing a hitter having that little inward turn also with that hip. Is that what you're talking about with the pitcher as well?
1: Well, with the pitcher on that front hip. Yeah, I I just refer to like gymnastics, stick the landing some guys that that knees bent uh, 20 degrees. Some guys uh, might be Seaver and uh, Nolan Ryan and, and it's bent close to 90 degrees to me. It doesn't it doesn't really bother me um, any way. It's just that whatever. Whatever you stick the landing, it's got to stay stable. You can't, you, your knee can't hit, hit, your foot can't hit the ground and the knee is at 30 degrees. And then all of a sudden, as you're accelerating forward, it goes down to 90 degrees because now we're we're, we're unstable as far as in that platform. Um,
0: what's, what's the worst combination? You talked about the righty, the lefty thrower, righty hitter. I always see people cringe when they see that, the righty hitter, lefty thrower. Uh, but then you have the opposite, as you mentioned, the righty thrower, lefty hitter. Um, or you've got the righty, righty, lefty, lefty. Not that I didn't mean to make our audience dizzy there with doing those, but what's the worst combination to get? Or, or are they all equally? Um, or are they all the same? And you just gotta you, you got to be aware and adjust and develop.
1: Yeah, you just have to be the same. I, I think going way back, the whole thing about the the righty hitter and the lefty thrower is people are like, well, if he's naturally left-handed, if he batted left-handed, he wouldn't have to. Th- he wouldn't have to face all those right-handed curveballs, you know, as a right-handed batter. But as far as biomechanically, it's just a matter of, you know, understanding what the limitation would be and then just work on those different parts, um, correctly. And you're not going to have a problem. I mean, a quick example, when I totally felt what I was seeing, so I grew up playing golf left-handed, I'm a natural left-hander after my shoulder surgeries and stuff after pro ball, it just wasn't enjoyable playing golf, left-handed shoulder would start hurting, you know, um, after about nine, 10 holes. So I stopped playing golf. My brother, uh, Mike Rooney, who also played professional ball and he's head coach at, uh, Don Bosco Prep in Ramsey, New Jersey. They had a pretty good year this year, huh? Yeah, they, they won their state titles to, uh, second year in a row. And uh, I think just the other day, they were voted the uh, team of the year in, in the state of New Jersey. So they, he did an excellent job. But as he was coming up, he's 15 years younger than I am. So he was coming up as a teenager. He wanted to play some golf with his buddies. But up in New York, he had to be with an adult. So I just started driving the golf cart around. One day, I picked up his right-handed club. I was scared to death that I was going to miss the ball but I hit it and I was like wow it kind of went straight kind of went straight so I started playing golf right-handed uh old catcher buddy of mine is a a professional golf instructor I spent the summer with him and for anything would feel I still putted and sometimes chipped lefty lefty but uh I started shooting in the low 80s and I was like hey I'm you know having fun again this is fun and so we would go play golf once a week, me and my father, me and my brother. Um, then my last year as pitching coordinator with the Brewers. I had an accident, um, needed spinal surgery. Dad had to replace some some uh, crushed discs, discs in my lower back. S- no golf for a year. Take it easy, do my rehab a year and a day. Up to the year point, I was like, I don't know if this doctor fixed anything. And then it was like magic. A year a year to the day and no more pain and everything's fine. So we're up in Chicago uh, visiting my in-laws. We go play golf. My wife plays golf also with her dad. And I get to the first tee. I'd never hooked a ball in my life right-handed. That entire day, I'm hitting balls that are going out 100 yards and taking a taking a 90-degree left turn into the woods, and I'm wondering what the heck's going on. So I t- related the story to my, uh, my golf pro buddy, and he goes, "Watch oh, your hips. You haven't used your hips. And next thing you know, I start to feel and understand exactly what he's talking about. I start doing some hip rotational work and the whole thing, and next thing you know, my, you know, my golf game improved slightly back to uh, not low 80s, but at least, you know, it's comfortable. And that's when I started really, really addressing that fact, especially when I was scouting of um, watching different pitchers and hitters and wondering, you know, and the finding out, researching. Are they left-handed or are they right-handed? When did they learn to switch it? When did they learn to hit from the other side? When they first started pitching, was it their dad said, you're going to be left-handed so that, you, you know, and those type of things. Because it's not natural for them for their hips to work in the proper range of motions. Because everything they do is the opposite. And uh, and uh and the hip mobility is it's 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 the whole foundation. It's the whole foundation. In fact, the uh the research article I posted this morning on Facebook at Rooney Baseball, uh it's it's just you know, a lot of times for our audience, I mean, there's a lot of medical terms and all the science and everything. A lot of times the easiest thing to do is go right to the end where it says conclusion and kind of siphon through it. And basically it's, you know, and there there's, if there's a hundred of these articles, there's a thousand of them because this is how important they've discovered in the hip mobility that, um, proper range of motion and hip mobility or changes in the hip mobility affect the, uh, uh, your truck, trunk rotation velocity, which then changes your shoulder range of motion and will increase the stress on your elbow. And it's just, it's there. And I've read, like I said, I've read hundreds of these and all the conclusions are very similar. Um, so when you see young pitchers and young hitters and all of us, they don't have that foundation. It's something that has to be addressed immediately. And the reason why it needs to be addressed is, what I tell my young guys in, in, uh, in plain, plain English is that, um, when a muscle gets tired, it shortens, because it doesn't want to get pulled apart. So there's small muscles in your, in your body, similar to, let's say your rotator cuff muscles which are only supposed to be for the initial stabilization of the shoulder joint and then larger muscles take over in, in the whole dynamic process of throwing a ball or hitting a ball. And these muscles, sometimes in the past, they've been referred to as you know synergistic muscles. They assist in your balance and your posture um, when they're doing their job. Basically, they're just communicating directly to the spine. You don't, you don't think about standing up straight. You don't think about um, you know standing up or standing on a line and, and I got to think about my balance or I'll fall down. It all happens naturally, right? So what happens is I'll take the uh, hip flexors. The hip flexors can be so overused in every single thing we do. If you're sitting too long, they can tighten up. If you're standing too long, they can tighten up. If you're shifting when you're standing from one leg to another, they can tighten up. You go play basketball with your buddies. I mean, they're not very large muscles. They're going to tighten from overuse. What happens when they tighten is you get a forward tilt of your pelvis, your hips, which then destroys the lumbar curve in the spine, which then makes the, goes right up the ladder of the spine. Spine's not working properly. Uh, it may be functional, but it's going to be now more difficult for your scapulas to stabilize around the spine. And now we've affected the whole dynamic of the pitching uh, of the pitching mechanic just because our hips or hip flexors are tight.
0: Um, so let's let's say you get a you get a young kid coming to you and you notice this right away. Um, there's obviously a verbal education piece, but what physical things are you doing with him and his, and his I guess his mom or his dad that are there? exercises, uh, awareness with the liver. What are things, what are tangible things that you do and say with, I guess, more do with him to get him started in the right direction and reinforce? Uh, I'll
1: I'll give you a prime example. Um, one year with the Brewers, take a high school kid, right-handed pitcher, real good stuff, outstanding competitor, uh, not a big guy. He was about six foot, 170 pounds, 165 pounds. Um, the regular jargon from scouts and development people at the time was, this guy's going to be awesome as soon as we get him stronger. But the second you see him walk, when you walk on a straight forward, it's supposed to be flexion and extension of your knees. All right, so you're walking with your, the larger muscles of your leg and your thigh. Um, what happens when you have tight hip flexors and they have the forward tilt of your pelvis I give the example of we've all seen, you know, our, our 87 or 90 year old, you know, great uncle or great, great grandfather or whatever. And he's walking, you know, with his, uh, he's walking from his hips. So he, everybody's seen it. It's tough to describe over the, over the uh, podcast here, but. It's like swinging, right? They're swinging. Swinging from his hips. Yeah. Right. And, and. Then he usually has his belt buckle up over his over his stomach and the whole thing and it's just it's just, <laughs> just describe my whole neighborhood yeah, it's the old man 's walk it's <laughs> the old man 's walk right we've all seen it and when, and when we see it we know exactly what it is and now the reason being is is if we don't do things to keep the proper hip mobility flexibility stability over time in the aging process it's going to happen so at the time i I went to the uh Minor league strength coach for the Brewers. I said, "Here's the problem we're going to have with this guy. Here's what we have to fix." He puts together a hip mobility circuit. It became so good in working with him. An uh, in instructional ball, I kind of made it mandatory. Some of it is just simple as putting hurdles on the field and then just doing internal and external rotation over the hurdle. Um, I saw a
0: football team doing that the other day, stationary. Yes. Um, and it was on it was on Facebook, and I, I it was a I thought it was an SEC team, It may have been Mississippi State, but I don't want to bust them. But the struggle that these guys had with hip mobility, being that strong, that physical, you know, football is a challenging sport as well uh, for eighteen to twenty two year old kids was sad to
1: watch. It shouldn't be that hard. Yep, and it's just what happens because. In, in many instances, it, it's the situation isn't addressed because really, um, especially for the, for the young ballplayers, who, who are they dealing with on a daily basis that actually understands those facts or can see what they're, you know, what they're experiencing. Um, like even the vision to see it, you know, you, you can say what comes first, the chicken or the egg. Because I was a pretty good pitcher and I could read hitter swings, did this, um, you know, in me the ability to see swings and then to see pitchers mechanics and to see, or did, or did I just have the vision to begin with? You know, we don't have an answer to that question, but you don't really see a lot of people. You don't come into contact with a lot of people on a daily basis that can look at things without even a video camera or slow motion and say, you know, there's no flow along the kinetic chain. Here's where we're blocked in the hips. Hey, uh, big guy, do me a favor. Touch your toes. Hey, do this movement here. A lot of times I just take the old snatch squat, um, take the closet, take the six foot closet dolly or a broomstick or whatever you have. Put your arms over your head, holding the stick and then do a squat. It'll tell you right away as far as hip mobility. Uh, for some of the younger guys, you put them in a split squat position. It's basically a lunge without the dynamic movement back and forth. Put them in a split squat position. Front hips supposed to fold. Back knee's supposed to bend. Hips stay stable. Shoulders stay stable. All right, we're functioning properly. The majority of them, their hip flexors are too tight. The back hip's being pulled through, pulled through. You, you see these things. Um, so really when I'm dealing with the young guys, I hand out email to their parents. Here's the exercise glossary. Here's some things that we're going to do. It's anybody can find any of these exercises on the internet. I mean, there's enough, um, physical therapists that have their own business websites and things, you just Google hip mobility and you're going to find all times different examples. I think I've looked it up enough on Instagram where I get five or six every morning. Yeah. To- yeah. And um, so what I do is I put a sheet together for, for my clients. And uh, listen, uh, this week, before you see me again, we got to focus on those hip, mo- hip mobility exercises. If you forget them or you need a reminder, just click on the video link. There's going to be someone there showing you exactly how to do it. Um, um, it's constant
0: maintenance, right? It's not something, it's not a, let's do this for a week and get better. This is something that they have some deficiency developed over time in their body, or it's an eight because of their, you know, whatever hand they're dominant with. Right. That needs to be, it needs to be deliberate, concentrated effort.
1: Yes. I mean, you hear all the time when someone talks about they've they've had a low back problem and they have to continually do their maintenance exercises, and then they feel good. Uh, if if you want to be a baseball player, then you're going to work on hip mobility for the rest of your life. It's just it's just the way it is. And if you do it, you're going to stay healthy. If you don't, you're going to run into some difficulties, especially pitchers.
0: And my especially, wife, my wife
1: laughs at me. You're the way, and you, I mean
0: interrupt you. Okay. You can watch a guy walk. Basically, and you, yes. you can watch them walk into them. My wife laughs, too. So I, I do that with, uh, you know, with, with, you know, righty lefty is important with, with basketball, with all sports. But I watch a person walk and it's like left-hander. You can just tell by the way they swing swing their body. And what about the, the feet that are pointed out? How does that, does that have anything to do with hip strength or weakness? You know, to see the kids with their feet pointed instead of straight ahead, maybe pointed out at about a 45 degree. Um, does that indicate weak hips?
1: Um, there's probably some limitations in there. Yeah. I, I, I go back to, I've always, always looked at athletes and the people that are naturally extremely athletic, their feet are usually turned in just slightly from my experience. Yeah. Um, or pigeon toed. Yep. Um the thing about the um uh, if you want to say the duck walk with the with the toes pointed out yeah is you're probably going to get a lot more um tightness on the inside of their knees, the inside of their legs, the inside of their thighs so it would affect more the internal rotation and then most likely be weaker in external rotation. Um, now, of course, if, if I came across that situation, I would test them first to, to, you know, to, what I just stated was more anecdotal than necessarily the facts of, of each individual. Oh, sure. Um, but yes. Um, And then the other part that happens with hips is we don't don't learn to hinge properly. The hip is a hinge joint. So when I say hinge, everybody knows how to squat and split squat and lunge and step ups and these type of exercises, leg presses and whatever. But they don't necessarily hinge properly. That's why... I love doing a lot of my work, uh, with young players, with kettlebells, because the, even a kettlebell swing, it's, it's the first thing to learn of how to hinge properly. And then you can get into the deadlift movements and the different deadlift variations. So I call that all hinge work. If the, if the body learns to hinge properly, all those other stuff things are going to be taken care of. By um, hinge, you, you're talking about folding over the, the top half of your body. Yes.
0: Okay. Yeah. Yes. I, yes. I know we're we're not a visual, we're an audio show,
1: but yeah, that's what yeah, I basically. I the hinge is that is that joint when you when you go to squat. Okay. That hip kind of folds into itself. There's a fold mm-hmm. between your thigh and your and your belly. All right. And this way you maintain, you know, uh, proper hip stability into proper spinal stability and all those things. And then, I mean, if you want to fast forward to some of the people that are doing phenomenal work on the injury front nowadays with all the modern technology, um, one one of the things that uh, that you see is they all talk about spinal stability down through the driveline and the rotational forces and different things like this. And n- none of that sort of simplified. If you're saying in hitting and pitching, we have to have proper posture, right? In order for the two platforms in the triple spin, hips down to the feet and then your shoulder blades, your scapula, they remain stable. The rotational forces can flow. Um, All the latest research will will show you the importance, uh, even the the article I posted this morning, of how the hip mobility affects the trunk rotation and the spinal stability, the scapular stability, and how to produce those rotational forces in the correct manner. Um, Whereas, you know, when you're dealing with the young guys, you're, you're not necessarily using all that technology and equipment. But when you watch a move, you can see it, you know, or or you simply tell them, you know, touch your toes or you, you put them in some uh, different hip flexibility type uh, uh, movements and stuff like that. You uh, The movements that you had related to earlier about the football team. I mean, you can take any 10, 11 or 12 year old and have them stand there, pick their knee up, to their waist and then open the hip up and they do it on both sides and you'll say, all right, which one feels tighter? They're going to tell you right away. Um, and a lot of times it's going to be, if they're right-handed, it's going to be their left hip because they're producing, they're back in that, you know, in the old day of, I'm trying to throw harder and farther. I'm going to produce as much push off the rubber or as much force as I can, but the front side can't handle it, so it's absorbing this force instead of it flowing, you know, through the chain. Um, any any pitcher will tell you that when they first get back up on the mound after having some time off, a lot of times what what feels the stiffest the next day is the the front side of their land leg because it's it's receiving all the force, and we're not let's say that first couple of times throwing a bullpen our rhythm and time is a little bit off. And some of that force is not getting to the ball, it's getting into your front hip. And now all of a sudden it's, it's you know, it's like a pounding, you know, it's like a, I mean, a pitcher in a game will pound on that front hip, let's say a hundred times. Um, so th- those are the things that you see, you know, especially with the younger, the younger kids. Um, one of the ways that I try to counteract all this once we do the proper exercises, work on the hip mobility, let them understand that we're not going to be trying to produce as much force as possible we're, uh, from the lower half. We're just going to look to be stable and under control. Um, I break the throwing motion, and this is for any, any position, into uh, – three categories where I do drills with them. And I use the words as kind of uh, verbal triggers if eventually they work for that individual. And they are direction, whereas your feet, your hips, and your shoulder have to be in the direction of your target. It's kind of like shooting a and arrow. Uh, balance. You have to have control of your lower half. In hitting and throwing, you pick, up, you pick up the front foot, you put it down. You don't jump to the front. You don't push to the front. You don't do any of that. All right. And then, for lack of a better term, I use matching. Your front side and your back side have to look similar. If your front's way long, way long with the front arm and will shorten your arm action, it's not, not going to match up. A good way to get that across is you put them in their, in their split squat position or the position where their front foot is already landed, You give them a physio ball or even a basketball, soccer ball, and they have their hands together on the side of each ball, put it up in throwing position, and then rotate down through the front hip. If the front side goes early, they drop the ball. If the back side reaches back too far, they drop the ball. So not only does it give them balance and a a split squat variation um, to work on their balance and their posture – through the front side, but now their front and back are matching up, and they're, even though they're doing two different things, they're working together. So that's a very simple drill for them to do. Nice. Um, so direction, balance, and matching is what your your, yeah.
0: your keywords were.
1: Yeah. Um, and like I said, the biggest thing what happens with young guys is the direction is going to be off because they're pulling so hard with their front side. If they don't get through the if they uh, if the balance is off and they're getting too fast to the front side. They're never going to get through it. And then if the hip mobility is incorrect, what happens to them is even if they get through the front side, it's in a, it looks similar to what I call a pole vault. So whether the leg's straight or the leg's bent, the body kind of gets to the cliff and then kind of forces its way through the front instead of that action just flowing through the front because there was that that slight fold of the front hip and the center of gravity was past that front hip. Um, The importance of that is you can still be a successful pitcher and be pole, pole vaulting through the front side, but you're using up some energy and force in order to do it. Our goal is that all the energy and force is... The acceleration through the front side. I give young guys an an analogy of uh, it's like a car pulling on the highway. If there's a short entrance ramp, that's going to be real taxing on that engine to get up to 70 miles an hour in, let's say, uh, 200 feet. You're probably not going to hit that right lane of that highway doing 70, right? Engines over, you know, over ramping. You can hear it. It's working hard and we're, and we're still not there yet. Now, if that entrance ramp is 500 feet, let's say, you know, double or triple the first example, now we're going to have a smooth acceleration and it's going to be much easier to get into that, merge into that right lane doing 70.
0: And by the ramp, I, is that, are you, is that your, your stride length? Is that kind of what you're getting
1: to? Well, I'm, I'm to me it's just referring to um if you get through the front side without having to use up that energy without having, uh, oh, a- having to rev the engine you're going to have you're going to still have way more force stored up to try to apply to the baseball than if you started using all that energy to just get through your front side
0: yeah yeah i remember you're talking to a hitter here so i'm thinking it as a, from a hitter standpoint but that that's a great analogy with that. My phrase I always use is don't leak energy. Um, right. you, you're wasting, wasting it. What, now you mentioned the hinge. We were talking about the hinge a little earlier at the completion of the throw. W- what should the upper body look like? I see a lot of, again, I'm seeing it as an infielder. We're talking about pitching and throwing, but, right. um, I see a lot of infielders with throwing mistakes because, uh, we always teach them that their energy is to use their legs to, to, to kind of follow the flight of the ball. But winding them the hinge over there, a little over their front leg, to get that, you know, you talk about the triple, you know, your, the triple spin, right. with that that completion of almost folding that torso over the leg to get that, so the ball's out in front of them instead of way up high. That's from an infielder standpoint, right? What, what's 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 it look like from the ending from the pitcher's standpoint?
1: Well. Um, As an infielder, you can kind of get away with a couple things because we're not talking about long throws. Yeah, not a lot either. You're talking about five, six a game. Yeah. Now the shortstop goes into the whole different things. There's still some things that need to be accomplished. If you then relate it to an outfielder or a pitcher, um, it becomes very important to get to get that center of gravity past the front hip the beauty in that is from a pitching perspective. And I think it's a way that, um, sometimes all the technology that we have now is somewhat misused. So we'll, we'll use the example of spin rate. The spin rate for me is what's going to put the life on the baseball, that late explosion. Well, in order to get proper spin rate, we have to teach our body to get through the baseball at release point. If you have a consistent release point, that's much, e- much easier to do. The other thing that happens is that let's say you're letting, let's say you're not getting out front and we'll relate this to, um, uh, the perfect example is David Robinson, especially when he was a New York Yankee. He, his release point out front at times was measured at like, believe it or not, 10 and a half feet. So the hitter now only has say 50 feet approximately to make a decision whether he's going to swing or what he's going to do. So the perceived velocity is easily in some instances, three to four miles an hour quicker. Now the fact that he's gotten out there so good, his hand, when you let go of the ball, let's say at your sh- at your side of your shoulder, so kind of real early, very difficult unless you have extremely flexible wrist for that wrist to get through the baseball at, on the clock 12 to 6. But if you just move that hand out front, so now instead of your... In the first example, your release point, we'll just use arbitrary numbers. Your release point is um, 58 feet. But now you get out front and your release point is um, out there to where it's only, you know, down to, let's say, 52 feet. So you're further out by six feet. That's an extreme example, but... Without even moving your hand, your arm, or your wrist, your hand out front, your fingers are going to be through the ball at 12-6. So we've increased the perceived velocity by the hitter having a shorter distance and whether to judge what he's going to do. We've increased the perceived velocity because by being out front, we're going to spin the ball faster. All right. And the fact that it's the large muscles that get your hand out to release point. We've increased the actual velocity. I like it. it's a good explanation and layman's
0: terms for those out there. They're trying to catch up with us a little bit. Read, read the article too that Jim put out today, but also understand that your, you know, your hips are the, the muscle we're hitting on today. If you're talking about a dinner check that pays the bill, your arm, the rotator, that's just the tip right there. So, um, Hey, focus on that, Jim. Almost, we're closing on an hour here. Uh, gave a lot of great information for our audience. How, wh- what do? You, what else did we miss today? What else did you want to leave them with?
1: Well, the the thing that is the finishing on the on the hip mobility is that I usually don't work with the younger guys on hip shoulder separation because. Um their bodies are still maturing. And when I say, um, it's a blanket statement, but let's say under 14 years old, their, their body, the rotations they're doing with throwing, hitting, playing basketball, doing everything else that they do in, in their life is good enough uh, as far as the training mechanisms. Concerned. Now, as you start maturing and you're 14 or older, if we're going to add some, you know, uh, medicine ball work or other smash ball, slam ball type activities with the rotation, then we can improve upper body acceleration and hip shoulder separation. But even in the young player, if we correct the the hip issues so that the hip mobility is correct, and then we work on the timing issues. So he's never playing catch up and he can get the ball out front. Then the front shoulder stops being attached to the front hip and hip shoulder separation is going to happen naturally. You see it in hitters. You see it in throwers where all of a sudden that front shoulder is mimicking the entire movement of the front hip and they're moving together and that's either flying the front side, or a, a lot of you know negative things then occur. Yeah, now you hear that, so, in comments, that. That's a that's a
0: favorite thing you hear out there, flying open front side, whether it's a pitcher or a hitter, right? Um,
1: so the the physio ball work I described earlier in the in the split squat position mm-hmm. and just rotating through the uh, through the, through the throwing mechanism with the front side and the back side working together. That becomes phenomenal for young players to do. And it's a simple thing. Could you show that? Could you put that for our audience on Facebook,
0: tag our network? Because I think that would be a great visual for them to see. The ma- That's the matching principle that you talked about, yes. direction, balance, matching. I think yes. that would be great for them to see because that's, that's been emphasized throughout this whole show today in some capacity. You know, not that direction and balance haven't, but that matching where you get the, the mimicking of the front side with the front side and the back side with the back side is uh, – I think is key. If you would do that, that'd be great. That would be able go great with the show here today.
1: And I guess we would become a visual show now. That's yeah, I can, I can, I can get something like that done. And then mm-hmm. the last point that goes with this, this hip mobility is. The person with the difficulty in external rotation of the front hip. I had it in a, in a, uh, I had it in, in Milwaukee, former first round pick. Everybody looked at his delivery and all uh, high school, high school pitcher. Phenomenal body, phenomenal arm, and yet he, by the time I got there, he had already had a couple of years in the minor leagues and continually had these nagging injuries: elbow, then shoulder, then back, and. And the question was put to me: Why, why does this guy always seem to have these nagging injuries? His delivery's perfect. So, during the winter program out at the complex, I watched him throw a pen for the first time, and then I asked the uh, head medical coordinator, athletic trainer. I said, "Can you do me a favor? Can you can you test this guy's?" external, he was right-handed, so it would be external rotation of his left hip, his land leg. He goes, yeah, sure. And then he comes back to me that afternoon and he goes, how did you see that? He has like a 25% deficit. I said, well, I asked him to put his foot on the ground and to externally rotate his hip. He couldn't do it. So what's happening to him is his foot is opening two in the stride process is opening too f- too far from the ground, which brings him heavy to his front side. So he's lost his lower body, even though sometimes with the naked eye, you're not going to see that. By losing the lower body, he becomes an upper body arm thrower. The other thing that happens when that hip goes into external rotation too early in the process, um, I use the example of CeCe Sabathia. He might not look pretty, but he's closed all the way down the slope. So in keeping that mind, we're going to stay closed all the way down the slope as long as possible. So the guy that goes into external rotation early, let's say before the front foot hits, that tends to bring the elbow forward in the throwing action. And even if it's slightly forward, the hand cannot then drop into proper external rotation. And what we get is we get a, what I call a catapult action where the elbow leads and then, and then if the arm was to continue to rotate properly, you wouldn't be throwing the ball straight. You'd be throwing it one side, the catapult, the body self-adjusts, the elbow catapults and you get this pushing springing forward mechanism, which is extremely stressful on the elbow. More, you know, more stressful than just even the normal throwing. Um, So everybody attempts to, when they see that and they attempt to correct it, they're thinking it's the arm action. Well, it's the learned arm action because of the improper hip rotation or the improper hip mobility. So a lot of these things are built into this foundation. The foundation's good. Things flow pretty good. The foundation's bad. We start getting all these other timing issues or arm action issues, and then people attempt to fix the arm action. But if they don't fix the hip, especially in the competitive environment, he's going to go right back to the improper arm action. You can't help it. Right? I love it. That's the importance of the hip mobility. Now we've given people,
0: gosh, about an hour of good information today, and um, we could keep keep going. With it. I, I appreciate all that you've done today. This has been phenomenal. I've taken pages of notes and um, appreciate the effort that you give and the information that you're providing is, I just hope the people in your area up in Fort Mill know what they got up there uh, because that's, uh, you're a treasure. I've got to get my boys to you as well. And actually my daughter's starting to play baseball right now. Uh, they started a base, girls baseball league down here. We helped them start it. Um, so we're, we're excited to get going. Got to get all of them down to you so you can impact them as well, but keep up the good work. Your stuff is phenomenal. Um, With episode 218 here now, toe the rubber with Jim Rooney. Uh, Make sure we download, listen, like, subscribe, rate and review. Our following has been tremendous. 19,800 subscribers. We're trying to push to 20,000 by the end of the week. Uh, Next week, we'll be back with you. We'll let you know what our our, uh, topics are going to be based on your responses and based on follow Jim on Facebook as well. You can see what he's into as well. But Jim, thanks so much. Great show again today. Hip mobility guys. If, uh, I mean, you got your PhD in it right now, make sure we're studying it. We're emphasizing it. It's that important to your, th- your throwing and pitching game. So Jim,
1: thanks so much Dave. We appreciate what you do. Thank you, Dave. Much appreciated. And <laughs> as before, if, uh, anybody has any questions, um, uh, on Facebook, you can contact me at Rooney baseball or at coach Jim at com, And I'd be happy to, uh, Attempt maybe to explain some things further with some video and other things for the visual listeners out there.
0: Good. and Yeah. And if you get, if you have time to put up that, that matching exercise, I think they'd love to see it. Uh, But no, great episode. And I was, you you got to what I was going to ask. I was going to ask how they can reach in, how they can follow you. But thanks again. Audience have a great uh, 4th of July. Tomorrow we're recording the day before right now. And with that, make sure you continue to listen to this show and we'll be back with you next week. stars to be living here
1: today, because
0: the flag still stands for freedom, and they can't take that away.